Hi, and welcome to the Oil and Gas Accounting Podcast. I'm your co-host, Tom Weyerman, Executive Director of COPUS, the Council of Petroleum Accountant Societies. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Sherwood, owner and founder of Sherware, that provides software for oil and gas operators and accountants. If you're a CPA, an accountant, a bookkeeper, an office manager, or if you're an oil and gas operator doing your own accounting, this podcast is for you. We're here talking with the experts in their respective accounting areas to keep you up to speed on the latest accounting news, rules, and data. There is so much happening in the world today, especially in oil and gas, that affects the accounting function of a business. Our job on this podcast is to keep you up to date and help you see more, know more, and do more as an accounting professional in our field. Let's get started. In today's podcast, we're jumping back into the topic of tax. In this episode, we're going to be covering property tax. Our guest today is Drew Harold. Drew is currently the Director of State and Local Tax with Crest Tax Partners. Prior to Crest, Drew spent 11 years with Chesapeake Energy in various state and local tax roles, including managing the property and sales and use tax groups. Drew was an industrial appraiser for Pritchard and Abbott in their Houston office before his time with Chesapeake. With these various roles, Drew is an energy industry professional with experience in property valuation, state and local tax planning, negotiating with state and local governments, providing legislative testimony related to state and local tax policy, and internal and external stakeholder communications. Welcome to the Oil and Gas Accounting Podcast, Drew. Hey, appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Phil and Tom, for having me today. Now, before we get into the topic of property taxes, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get started in tax work and eventually into oil and gas? And do you work specifically in the area of property taxes? Yeah, so I would say my foray into tax happened after oil and gas. I grew up out in uh, southwest Kansas, and during college, I was aroused about. So that was my first taste of oil and gas. I worked on a couple of pipeline crews. Did some big automation projects out in the uh, Hugan field installing new automation equipment. So that was my first oil and gas job back in the early 2000s. And my first tax job was with Pritchard and Abbott down in Houston. So I had graduated from TCU. There was a job posting that said, hey, we need oil and gas experience. I thought I had some of that. Uh, Not the exact same oil and gas experience as I was used to. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, it, it, it was a, a, a huge change for me, but that experience in the field has definitely paid off ever since. So, Well, that's interesting. We don't often hear of accounting folks being involved in the field work before they got into the accounting work. So that probably gives you a different perspective. Yeah, I spent a lot of times uh, on a pipeline listening to welders. Yeah, I've learned a lot of I learned a lot of things from those guys, and uh, sometimes I can't tell everybody those things, but I definitely learned a lot. <laughs> I bet you have some stories. Yeah. Well, you know, there's nothing like getting some real hands-on experience when you start dealing. I mean, so many, so many in the accounting world are in a corporate office setting somewhere, or maybe they're in a field office, but they don't get out and get to see the the, the physical aspects of things that you know you, that everybody else touches and. It comes across on a piece of paper to you. It's just inanimate, I guess, in, in a sense. And so when you can get out there and, and see all that happening and get your hands on it, that, that just makes a lot of difference. Yep. That's definitely, a, you know, just in the accounting department at Chesapeake too. And, and now it's, you know, it's nice to be able to see a fixed asset list and know, you know, oh, this is a heater treater. This is a separator and not have to go do a quick Google search on what is exactly this piece of equipment and 
really helps out on knowing the functionality of some of that, of some of the equipment along the way as well. So I'm glad to have done it. I'm glad to be in the, the tax world at this point. <laughs> well, when it comes to oil and gas, there's a lot of different taxes and ways that they can impact so many parts of the oil and gas companies, such as accounting, land operations, drilling, supply chain, government affairs, all those. What are some tips on how to manage the communication about property tax internally so that everybody gets on the same page? Yeah, I, the first thing I would say is be curious and ask questions to every group you come across, even if it seems like overkill. I've, I've, I've found that uh, if you think somebody's in the loop, it's still okay to ask the questions. You don't need everybody in the company to be experts on property tax, but you need them to think about property tax, severance tax, sales and use tax as they make decisions. You know, from uh, if you think about our uh, a supply chain group, where are you storing that? You know, your pipe. If you're going to put it in Harris County, Texas, not the greatest place. Really, really high tax rates. So, if you can move it into a, an adjacent county for a decent trucking price and save, you know, a dollar, a uh, dollar per hundred in, in a tax rate, do that. The other thing would be, you know, as you're going into new areas. What we need to understand when you're signing the lease agreements, what is the tax structure? Do the operators, you know, do they withhold the severance tax and the property tax? Is that paid directly by the royalty owners to the counties? Those type of things. And then uh, you think about your surface use agreements. Is there, if you build a pad site, is there, there going to be an ag rollback tax that you got to con- consider? So property tax touches a lot of groups, not just the accounting role where you're dealing with accruals, the JOA groups, JV groups, and then onto your, your cash forecast and your, and your financial planning groups too. So we, we touch a lot of different groups on the property tax side. Drew, I think you just dropped a nugget of gold there and, and that's to over-communicate. You would, probably wouldn't believe how much money is lost in companies just because of the lack of communication between the different departments, between the different folks. And you know what happens when you make assumptions? Yes, absolutely. I can't tell you how many times I, I would see people going to the same field office or going to the same association meeting. And the first time I'd see them was in the Oklahoma City Airport or when we were landing somewhere else. And like, hey, what are you doing here? And then, you know, it's all right. Now that we're here, now we both know we're, we're working the same issue or in the same place. Is there something we can work on? So that, yeah, it's a any organization, you know, if you got 100 people, you got 10 or, you know, in the bigger cases, you know, thousands of people, you got to over-communicate. That's great advice. You know, we, we, there are so many different things that you can impact and touch. And it's just, you, you got to really think about how you can all get on that same page. So appreciate you sharing that, that wisdom with us. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say is one of the most important aspects of effectively managing your company's property taxes? Yeah, so... I thought about this for quite a while, and and the thing I came up with is, you know, we 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 roll off the tongue state and local tax pretty quick, right? But you've got to remember that property tax is a is a local tax. When you're filing compliance, you're negotiating with the assessor or the appraiser, paying those taxes to the tax collector. Those are people that live in those communities. That's where your companies operate, and really, you got to think about your role as a property tax professional as a liaison to that to that local community between you and your company too. So I think that comes for me growing up in Southwest Kansas where, you know, in, in Grant County where I grew up, the tax base was the Huguenot Basin. So that 
I, I understood that, right? Our schools were paid for by oil and gas companies. So I've taken that approach as I've went across the country. And, you know, you might be in a courthouse for a day or two a year, but you just got to remember those people work there. They go in that courthouse every day. They go into that assessor's office every day and, and you're dealing with their, their tax dollars and, and they're out for the best interest of their uh, local tax jurisdictions. Yeah. So when it comes to property taxes, you know, I, I think about being a homeowner and as a homeowner, you're able to protest or appeal the value of your home that the auditor has come up with. Could you talk about what the appeal and the negotiation process looks like for an oil and gas company? Does it work in the same way? So it, it does work in the same way for most states, same system. I will go back to my first first time to ever be in a, in a, a an appraisal review hearing. I was in Orange County, Texas, and I was just overwhelmed. And I thought, how do people do this every day? It's really high tension, right? So if you haven't been able to resolve something, there's obviously an issue on both sides, maybe that can't be resolved. So they have a lot of nerves on both sides. And I remember being so nervous. And every time I go into one still to this day, I get nervous, which I hope is a good thing that I know that, you know, hey, there's a lot of line on the line for the taxing jurisdiction as well as the, as the company we're representing, but it's the same system. Now the, the differences are when you go into some of these counties, most of the people there probably have bought and sold a home that are sitting on that review board. So they kind of understand the concepts of buying and selling a house, what a fair market value is for a house or for a local business, a commercial operation. Most people, when you're, when you're explaining your, valuation dispute for an oil and gas well, a a pipeline, a a gas plant, you got to do two things. One, you got to educate them on what you're protesting, and then you have to go into why it is overvalued. So it's a two-prong approach of educate, what am I here talking about, to why is it overassessed? The next part of that is you got to know the who, what, when, and how. Who do you protest to? What do you need to include in that protest? When is it done? And then you got to know how to actually do the appeal. Is it, can you do it by phone? Can you do an affidavit? Can do you, or do you have to show up in, in person? Do you need an attorney at that first administrative level? All those things. I would say the biggest difference between a, you know, a residential appraisal and protest versus an oil and gas related, those values are really large. It's going to be high profile in, the, in those counties. Yeah, that's very interesting. And it comes back to, you know, the property tax being all local. And you mentioned you you have to be aware of where, you know, your inventory, where it's stored, which counties it's stored in. Because with oil and gas assets spread across multiple states, you know, what are some of the things or the ways that state and local jurisdictions arrive at a fair market value? Yeah, so I've I've probably done work in I'm going to say 15 plus states related to upstream, midstream, and in some downstream properties. No state does their valuation the same. They all use the same concepts of property valuation, income, cost, and and a market approach. But the way they go about that is is wildly different. Texas, for example, is probably the most sophisticated state there on the. On the income approach, they do true discounted cash flows. Other states, such as Louisiana and Virginia, will do a, a cost approach of how much does it cost to drill and equip a well. 
Uh, there's a lot of controversy over using the cost approach for a depleting asset where they just use straight line depreciation versus looking at other factors like income production, those type of things. And then other ones, other states will just punt and make the assessment just your severance tax at the local level as well. So there's a lot of different ways they go about coming up with a, a taxable value. Some only tax the real property, others do personal. It's across the board. And that's one thing is, you know, we saw with the shale plays, production exploded in states that had some oil and gas valuation rules. Those rules were tested significantly on shoving in the in the, the shale wells and the large declines and the, the bigger expenses. So it's interesting to see how they've reacted. And some are still behind the curve on, on correcting those for modern technology and modern production types. Yeah, interesting. I, interesting. I think, I think Louisiana, they've got a an amendment on the ballot coming up, don't they, about how you're able to also use the income approach in yep. valuing oil and gas wells? Yeah, there's a constitution amendment. I think you had uh, Mr. Fredrickson on a couple of weeks ago talking about that. So that would be really interesting to see how that plays out. That's been a been an issue for years there in that state. And I'm curious to see what the voters of Louisiana do there. Well, now that we've established some valuation methods, what are some different tax rates? What what about the different tax rates and payment deadlines across the different states? Yeah, so you think about tax rates, some of them are, are set by statute. Some of them have caps to where regardless of what that value in the county, school district, city does, they're flat, right? So one comes to mind is Wyoming. All the different jurisdictions there have a, of a cap rate they can't go above. So when we saw a lot of production happen in those counties where their values, you know, doubled or tripled in the county, those tax rates did not reduce because they have a statutory limitation. There's no reason for them to reduce that. Uh, in a state like Texas, where there is some fluctuation, there is a lot more debt that these jurisdictions take on as your tax base fluctuates, those rates will fluctuate as well. So that's something that I preach a lot is yes, evaluation is important. And we should always be making sure we're at a fair market value. But what does that tax rate look like with those jurisdictions is just as equally important. You got to understand what debt they're carrying because those are all revenue guaranteed. So regardless of what that tax base does, they're going to get their money back. Right. The other side of that too is checking for discounts, half payments to the jurisdiction, allow you to half pay, you know, working with your treasury group to say, hey, here's the discount tape. Can we make money on that? Or are we in a position, a cash position where it doesn't make sense to take that discount? There's plenty of treasury folks that will give you a good idea on that. And then working with your AP team, you know, they, they have a pretty good steady flow of invoices to pay you all year. And then you hit them with a huge load of property tax bills twice a year. Uh, you got to communicate with your AP team or you will not be their friends. So, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, if you don't get those paid on time, then there's prop, there's penalty and interest and all kinds of other things too. So, you know, it's just, it's interesting. You're right. You do have to communicate. And again, kind of back to the, to the topic we've talked about already, the importance of communication. You know, Drew, you mentioned in your bio that you have some legislative testimony experience related to state and local tax policy. What are some examples of this and why is it important for oil and gas companies to be involved in their government with their governmental affairs teams and the various trade associations and oil and gas that your companies or companies may be members of? 
Yeah, so with my time in the last, oh gosh, 10 years, I've either participated in trade organization tax committees or chaired them. I've chaired the Wolvanga Tax Committee, the Marcel Shell Coalition in Pennsylvania, Petroleum Association in Wyoming. And it's important for those tax groups to be the subject matter experts for your either your internal lobbyist, you got an external lobbyist and your in your trade organizations, right? So those trades are set up to be a great tool for you. If you've got an issue, typically everybody else is having that same issue. So kind of gives you a little bit of that that shield of hey, this is a big issue for the industry, not just my company or your client, run it through that. There's a ton of tax bills every year in, in any legislature that's going. And to be able to kind of pull those resources into a trade and run those through there is, is a great idea. And one thing that typically happens is, you know, you'll see a property tax relief bill or whatever it's going to be. Those are always geared towards residential homeowners, you know, local voters. So as hard as it is to say, no, we don't support a, a tax relief bill. We got to make sure that it doesn't harm our, our oil and gas companies as well. So that's a that's a touchy one to look at, but I think we saw that in Texas last year. There was some property tax relief bills that were out there that passed. Did they help or hurt oil and gas? No. But did they help the homeowners? Yes, they did. Okay. Very interesting. And that's good to be involved in the, the associations and in those government affairs teams to be aware of issues like this. You know, we hear the word tax technology, and it seems to be a buzzword used frequently when discussing the compliance related to property tax. Are there other opportunities for oil and gas companies to utilize various technologies related to their property tax? Absolutely. And, and we touched on this earlier, making sure you keep your AP group happy. Tax bills are tough. Nobody likes to work tax bills. So making that process easier through some OCR scanning, some sort of database management where you know you're getting all this correspondence in from the different taxing jurisdictions, basically making that connection between how the counties or states relate to those oil and gas wells or pipelines, whatever that is, and making that connection into your internal AP system, your well numbers, your property codes, and, and doing that function. That's a huge time saver. That is a really that's one that I would say I would encourage anybody to look at doing. And then from your accruals, I mean, there's some good tools there to, to help out on making that accrual process easier every month through your account recons, any of those tools that make your your monthly flow quicker and, and easier to, to get through is great, I think. So there's definitely the tools to help out on compliance, but a lot of other back office functions that can hit some tax technology as well. Great. You know, with the other tax types, we hear about reduced rates, incentives, exemptions, you know, even reduced tax liabilities. Does any of that exist for property tax? And if so, you know, what are some of the examples? Yes. Yeah, so for the upstream properties, very few and far between, I would say exemptions exist, right? It's hard to move oil and gas formations. And that's usually what they tell you. Well, if you've leased here, why would I give you a a break, right? But you think about your midstream and your downstream, your gas plants, refineries, any other downstream facility, there are a ton of, of exemptions and incentives that you can look at there. So most states will 
have some sort of economic op- or economic opportunity that all companies in commercial and industrial can can go after. But that's really where you're going to see the incentive work is on the manufacturing and any of the downstream properties. On the reduced rates, there are some states that will give you a reduced valuation if you have a low producing well on either the oil and gas side. But for the most part, on the upstream side, not a lot of exemptions to be had other than some low producing. You're really going to look for those economic opportunities on upstream or excuse me, midstream and downstream side. I think a, a good example of that is the shell cracker in Pennsylvania, right? The, the Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania border, all those three states fought hard for that. And Pennsylvania won out on that one. Yeah, that's a big project going on right now. So, Drew, this has been a great conversation about property taxes. That's going to help a lot of companies become more aware of ways they can stay on top of their taxes. Now, you work with a lot of different companies do you come in and audit their property taxes and give them recommendations or do you have a different method of working with them? Yeah, absolutely. We'll come in and help at any point in the tax cycle. So like we've talked throughout the podcast here, we don't just focus on that valuation. We want to focus on getting that accrual right at the beginning of the year, making sure your compliance is is correct. Compliance can sometimes be seen as just a, another cog in the wheel. It's a really good opportunity for you to tell the assessor, hey, this is what's happening with my property. So I, there, there should be more focus on getting that, that narrative correct on the first rendition, the first filing, whatever it is. So when you go in and talk to them in the appeal season, you're like, hey, this is what I said you know, two months ago when I filed this. And of course, valuation is your next cycle. Love to do that work. It's the fun part of the job. And then obviously the tax bills as well. Biggest part there is the data integrity. We want to make sure we're getting you getting you a, a good accrual to start with. So kind of that back and forth between the client and the tax consultants to make sure, hey, we know what you think is taxable. This is what we see. And we get a good starting point there. So if there's somebody listening today and they just realize that maybe their company isn't paying as much attention to property taxes as they should, you know, what what would you what would your advice be or what would you suggest they do to get started? Yeah. So it depends on the time of the year. Right now we're looking right down the right down tax bills for most most states. It's gonna be a really hard time to to try to fix 2020. Can be done, but the really the the next thing to do is take stock of what's being done. What happened in 2020? We know going into 2021 there's gonna be some some hard conversations we had with the assessors. Let's make sure our is the internal staff, your county staff, your tax staff filing those returns, or do you have some consultants you need to reach out to as well? I, I think the next thing to do too is once you have an idea of how are we going to handle this internally, consultants, you got to start reaching out to your assessors. Again, don't make the first time you're talking to the assessor is when you walk in that courthouse to a to an appeal hearing. There's a lot of time in the tax year to to communicate with them. They usually like to hear from people too. So that would be my suggestion is if you think you're ever paying, figure out how you're doing it for 2020. 2021 is right around the corner. Talk about a strategy internally. Talk about looking at some consultants. But then as soon as that assessment date happens and you know you have an issue, start talking with your assessor, the state tax department, whoever is doing the valuation that conversation needs to start early. Great advice. And, and 
you know, thank you so much for sharing your ideas and your knowledge with us today, Drew. It's it's greatly appreciated. Uh, there's just so many opportunities I think that are on the table that maybe we just overlook because we we just kind of think, well, that's a compliance activity. We have to pay property tax, and so you kind of grit your teeth and you sign the check that goes out the door. So, yeah, greatly appreciate your time. Yeah, great conversation, and I do think it again all comes down to communication. A lot of folks just need to communicate within their companies. The folks that are storing the stuff out in the field need to communicate with the folks who know how much tax is being charged on uh, different locations. So again, Drew, thanks for sharing your knowledge and property taxes with us. And this wraps up another episode of the Oil and Gas Accounting Podcast. Thank you both for having me. Yeah, it's been great. Pleasure. So Drew works for... Crest Tax Partners, and we'll have his contact info on the show notes page. And you can find that at oilandgasaccountingpodcast.com. Be sure to also leave us a review, whether you listen on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. You can also listen from our website, but those reviews really do help us out, give us some visibility, and helps us to get more listeners. Thanks again. Until next time. If you're an oil and gas operator who wants to simplify and automate the way you handle distributions, joint interest billings, and you use QuickBooks, you'll want to see a free demo of our software at Sureware. Our software was designed to simplify the distribution and accounting processes for operators by integrating directly with your QuickBooks company. On average, we save our users more than 10 hours each week and $40,000 a year in payroll costs by automating the distribution process from start to finish. All you have to do is go to sureware.com backslash demo right now and book a free walkthrough of the software to see if we can help speed up your distributions. That's all for this week's episode. We are so glad you're a loyal listener and spreading the news about the podcast. If you're a fan of the We're Still Here podcast, make sure you listen, subscribe, and leave us a review.